so much. All right, so as we um, <clears throat> title this chapter, uh, I don't know if you like to do that or usually have a, a heading in your own uh, scripture, I, I would probably just title this chapter Stewards. Uh, he uses that uh, word in verse 1 uh, that we are servants of Christ and stewards of of the mysteries of God. And so, um, you, you think of a steward, we don't use that term too much in our current um, vernacular. 
but it carries that idea of someone responsible for someone else's stuff, right? You are, uh, I think, more of like a banker or a uh, investment guy, you know, who has a fiduciary responsibility with my money. They are my steward of my money to do with that what I instruct them to do, not what they feel like. Well, you know, I need a new deck, and I'm going to use Brad's money to uh, to build that. They're a steward of my things. I've given them the responsibility. And so God has stewarded uh, the apostles to carry these things and to be responsible. So I think that helps with that attitude. There are many problems that the Corinthians were working through. They had some issues with their own divisions within themselves in their own congregations of how they were treating one group over another. We, we see that. We've looked at that in chapter 1. We're going to continue to see that. Uh, we're going to spend more time even next week looking at some of those things. So divisions were a big problem. Just treating each other, you know, I don't even know what that looks like. You know, it's just... I don't know if it's I'm too good for you. I don't know if it's a socioeconomic standard where I'm rich and you're poor and I don't want anything to do with you. I don't know if it's a racial thing. You know, there's just divisions. And the way that they were treating each other was less than exemplary. They also had this problem of preacher-itis or personality cults. We've looked at this where they are either... Raising up a certain individual who was their teacher or degrading one of the teachers. And it seems like they're kind of degrading Paul. And he goes into this very sarcastic um, message here in the middle of this chapter of, you know, you think you're so great and, you know, we're just worthless. That they have this same disparity between their attitudes with each other, which... Is hard to differentiate when you have that in your life it just percolates to other portions of your life and how they were treating Paul and the Apostles and, and you know I get it there's um, we have our favorites right there there are preachers or people that speak to us personally that resonate with our own thinking, the way that we think more than other people. And, you know, I get that as you've uh, traveled around or, um, you know, there are just certain people that it's like, man, Ralph Walker, I just could listen to him all day long, right? It just because I like, I like that style. And, and for you, that may not resonate with you. And so we, you know, we, we get a, uh, I I'm putting him on a pedestal, and then this other guy, I'm just kind of leaving. Um, I I could care less for him. That's kind of the same problem that they seem to be doing with Paul and Apollos. This whole idea of, you know, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, and um, that we're putting one down over another. And so Paul is working on correcting some of these challenges. As we looked in chapter 3, he rebuked the spiritual immaturity of those divisions. You know, that you're still babes in Christ, that you have, you're still on the milk and not on the meat. You, you have not developed yourself spiritually. 
And again, this superiority, and he mentions even that word in verse 7 in this chapter, of you think you're so superior. You, because of your affluence, think you are now better than everybody else, regardless of spirituality. That they have boasted, they have brought themselves up, and have corrected well, Paul is trying to correct those thinkings to help them go, look, what you have physically does not equate with spiritual maturity. So he's working on that. Um, he is revealing how one should view the role of preachers. And so he's going to talk more about this. He's, he's looked at that in uh, the last chapter as well. And he is remarking about the importance of what the Lord taught. So again, he is having to deal with a major paradigm shift of how they are thinking, trying to align that with a spiritual focus. Okay, so Paul is going to mention three different, I'm going to call them courts, C-O-U-R-T-S, like a uh, judgment court, a, a place where we are being judged. So think of a courtroom. Uh, there are three different levels of judgments or courts that Paul is going to address here. The judgment of men, the judgment of one's own conscience, and the, the judgment by Christ. And he's going to look at those three things. So let's look at, again, um, the first five verses. Let a man regard us in this manner as a servant of Christ and a steward of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. But to me, it is a very small thing that I should be examined or judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, I do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then let each man praise will come to him from God. In our federal court system, we have different levels of superiority. We have a, a local federal court. Then we have a federal district court of appeals. And then we have a federal supreme court. Which one of those has the most power? Well, obviously, it is the Supreme Court that has the overriding, no matter what the other courts have decided, the Supreme Court is the final and ultimate judge of those things. And it is very similar to this same argument. He's saying, you're judging me, I can judge myself, but it really matters what Christ thinks. It's the same way in our federal system. So I want to camp on this for a little bit 
and kind of dig into this because I think there's a lot of uh, application for us in this. So let's look first at this, um, the court of judgment by men. In Paul's view of this court, um, again, verse 3, the beginning there, it, but to me, it is a very small thing that I should be examined by you or by any human court. You know, notice he says small. It's a small thing. In fact, he says a very small thing. It, but he doesn't say nothing. You know, it's like there is a little bit of value in our relationship, our um, persona, what we, um, what you think about me. It doesn't mean a lot, but it does mean something. Paul was concerned uh, about what people thought in a few different places. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13, he is concerned about what the weaker brother is thinking of him. There is a discernment of, okay, if you're the weaker brother, how are you viewing me? So he does give examples of that, um, about what the lost thought in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and 10. So there is some validity of my responsibility to you of what you think about me. I can't just disregard all of that and go, well, it doesn't really matter what you think of me. There is some responsibility, but it is a very small portion of what dictates my actions. Paul's not concerned about what they thought about his accomplishments or his status as a preacher. A little bit, very small, but not a lot. So let's look at the reasons for his view on this. Um, because he knows how fallible the opinions of others are. I mean, that is a moving target, you know. It, I, I cannot create universal acceptance for anything. I can't do that, and Paul can't do that. It is a fallible opinion. I, I, how can I be right in Vicky's eyes and then try to do exactly the same thing with Frosty and try to do the same thing with Bob? I mean, everybody's view is different. And so therefore, it's, it's hard to keep everybody happy. There's no way to do that. So if that's our motivation is just making sure that everybody likes us, that's difficult. Eh, near impossible no, actually, actually impossible. Um, and he knew the criteria for their judgment upon him was incorrect. Uh, they looked only at the outward appearance. So I'm not sure what's going on with Paul. Let's look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Again, this is 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, same group of people. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, um, let's look at verse 7. 
So they're de still dealing with the same problem later on. So uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 7, you are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider again within himself that just as he is um, Christ, also we are. And then in verse 10, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech is contemptible. There's something about Paul that just kind of rubs them the wrong way. Like he just, he's kind of weak. He didn't really, when he speaks to the group, uh, they're just something that there's a disconnect, right? They're, they're dealing with something with Paul. Um, we see over and over again, we'll even see at the end of this chapter and, and beyond, um, that they only looked at this outward appearance. Now, again, I don't know what Paul looked like, but he couldn't have looked perfect with, after being stoned so many times and beaten and whipped. I mean, he probably looked like a mess, like honestly, uh, just from a physical standpoint. And I don't know how much that played a factor into that, but uh, they are only looking at appearances. He knew what the Lord said in John chapter 7, verse 24. It says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Okay, so how do we respond to this view? How do we fall prey to the criteria of men? What do you think? How do we personally allow the judgment of each other to affect us spiritually. What are your thoughts? Luke? If you have a comment, just wave down the guys and Craig will get you the mic here. Okay. Because I've heard people who, say, who worry about their, whether they're good or not. And the problem is, you start talking and say, okay, whose viewpoint are you looking at? Are you looking at from God's viewpoint, or are you judging yourself if you are not good enough? Right? There's a difference here. You have, when you look at God's judgment, you're going to look at it through the lens of the gospel story. And sometimes we forget that. We, we use this, we apply this to other people's judgment, we don't apply it to our own judgment on ourselves. Paul says, I don't even judge myself. And we're going to talk about that next. And I think that plays a part of that. Um, John, anybody else? How does that affect us? How does this problem that they're having affect you and I? John. Well, on, on the first part, where we're dealing with others, uh, 
and so their judgment is limited by the facts or misrepresented facts that they may have. Okay, yeah, so we use that phrase, you know, perception is reality. What it looks like um, becomes true, but it's not always true. There are other things, you know, <laughs> when I come in and my kids are fighting and it's like, you know, what I can initially view is probably not the issue, right? There's, there's a backstory to all of that, and uh, it, it helps. Um, let's see, uh, Mitch, Chris, go ahead, Chris. So we, we spend more time worrying about and that exact thing, what those people can see. Yes. I spend more time concerned about what others can see in me than yes. I do about what's really in me. So that affects our actions, our attitudes, our words in so many ways if we're not careful because we're more concerned about those little things that people can see externally than anything else. It affects our heart. Teenagers, I'm sorry to say, Peer pressure does not end when high school ends, okay? Like, we all are affected by what others think of us. What we fit into that sort social norms, we're all affected by that. We are controlled by other people's view of us or not even a specific person, just culture in general. We, we tend to shift our thinkings based upon what others view us. Are we willing to go, oh, you know, that's a small thing. That's a very small thing. That is not what I want to be controlled by. Mitch? And he gives a, uh, a uh, based upon their viewpoint of it. Yes. Good, good thought. Um, 
we're, we're guilty of this same thing. I mean, I, I am. I'll, I'll just speak for me. I'm, I'm guilty of this. Sarah? It's pretty, a lot like what Mitch said, my comment was, it's just that like the end of the last chapter and heading into this chapter, what really jumps out at me is that uh, all are yours, you are Christ, Christ is of God, regard us as servants of Christ. Um, and those who are servants must be faithful. Um, they're losing sight. Sometimes we lose sight that it's all about being servants of God. And that's where the, um, the building up of the others and the, the divisions come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. So while there are times that we should be considerate of what others think of us, the final estimation needs to come from a higher court. And some say, well, let your conscience be your guide. Let my opinion be the thing that controls me. And so let's look at that because that's Paul's next um, argument here. This court of judgment by one's own conscience. So let's look at Paul's view of this court. Uh, Again, verse 3 at the, the second part of that. So he says... Um, I'll just read verse 3. But to me, it's a very small thing that I should be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even examine myself. For I am conscious of nothing against myself. Yet, I am not by this acquitted. Using ourselves as the judges is actually better than the judgment of others. Okay. So let's examine that. Yeah, that's exactly where we're headed. Um, Because Paul's not totally discounting the need to examine oneself. He's not saying, well, my opinion doesn't matter at all. He's saying, I can't be justified by my own opinion. Um, Because we examine ourselves during the Lord's Supper, as 1 Corinthians chapter 11 talks about. We examine our own faith. In 2 Corinthians 13, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. There is an aspect that I need to self-internalize, judge myself personally. I need to look at what I'm doing. What I think of myself, again, is not just a small thing. There is a value of that. But that is not how we're justified. We can't justified by what I think of myself. Um, 
Paul speaks in 1 Timothy about having a good conscience. I think that's important. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Get there. 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verse 5 and 19 says, But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Then jump to 19, keeping the faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. A good conscience is something that we need to strive for. When we just jump, when our conscience is telling us, then you better not do that, and we just go, ha ha, never mind. And, and you sear that conscience, that's not a good thing, that we just continually go, well, I know what to, you know, I know what to do, and I don't do it. And just constantly berating our own consciences, that is not the way to live our lives. But the conscience itself is not a good basis of judgment. And why did Paul know this? Paul lived this. Because he knew of the fallibility of your own conscience and what you think. Let's look at Acts chapter 23. Acts chapter 23 verse 1 This is Paul before the council, and he said, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. What had Paul done in his life? We read in Acts 26, he goes into further detail of what he had done. He was killing Christians because he thought that was what was right. His conscience wasn't seared. He had followed his conscience all the way through his life. But the problem was, the conscience is not a good standard. You know, it is not the Jiminy Cricket of uh, our lives where we just let our conscience be our guide, right? That is a moving target as well. It shifts around. Paul changed his mind on what was right or wrong, but he never violated his conscience, but was his decisions about killing Christians and then having the episode with Jesus and then following Christ, were both those the same? Were all those okay? No, there was one was wrong, one was right, but he had a good conscience all the way through that. So he knew the fallibility of one's own conscience. In chapter 4, verse 4, he again says, My conscience is clear, but that does not prove that I'm right. So, let's analyze ourselves. How do we respond to this view? How else are we tempted to follow our consciences in this life? What are your thoughts? How do we do the same thing sometimes? Any other thoughts? Sometimes we listen to other people's 
somebody and said, oh, you're so strong, oh, you're, mm. you're such a good person. Okay. Uh, and then you start believing. Okay, that. all right. So we get duped by the praise or flattery of others uh, to... Without looking at God's word. Okay, yes, yeah. As again, that standard, that judgment. Okay, what are the thoughts? How do we use our conscience as our guide to our detriment, Robin? Honestly, sometimes I'm very generous to myself. <laughs> I can't trust that. Mm-hmm. We are very generous to ourselves. We are our own best salesmen. We can justify just about anything, any decision that we want to have happen. We can twist the facts. We can justify almost anything, whether it's a bad purchase on a car, whether it's a, a relationship that we shouldn't be involved with, whether it's um, the handling of our money. We can justify almost anything with a good conscience because we can twist it and get the result that we want without thinking, oh, I, I did nothing wrong. Tony? Yeah. I mean, I guess that speaks to certain personalities. A little, a little closer. Uh, that speaks to certain personalities for my own. I'm a lot harsher on myself maybe than other people would be. And so First John 3 speaks to that a little bit, that even if our hearts can be described greater than our heart. Honestly, it's who is the kind of arbiter of Again, you know, what do they say? The, the prisons are full of innocent people. You know, everybody can justify exactly what they did. And, you know, I got wrongly accused because, again, that basis of self-justification is just, it's just not a great um, way of thinking. Mom. Um, I think that's a good point. 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 Um
Yep, we excuse ourselves. Let's move on to that point where, so Paul knew that there was one final infallible court. This court of judgment by Christ. So again, uh, they're in the middle of verse 4. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, I do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. Um, Christ will judge men at his coming. Paul viewed the Lord's judgment as superior. Again, bringing the light, the hidden things of the darkness. So he's saying not the conscience, not the things that are in the darkness. It is bringing to light the real things and it will reveal the counsels of the heart. Again, he's saying, not the view of other people. He's saying those two things are not able to do what the judgment of Jesus is doing. So the reasons for Paul's view, he knew Christ's court was certain and superior. Craig? And speaking for myself, it it comes down to having willing to accept my conscience might not actually be in line with Christ right now. You think of what happened to Saul. It took a man named Ananias to come and, and speak for the Lord and say, what you're doing is not right. You're opposing him. Um, we don't have the blessing of Jesus necessarily here in the sky for us. What do we have? Sometimes we have reading the word ourselves and maybe seeing it it's, it's a brother or a sister coming to us and saying, I, I think you have a misunderstanding of, uh, of how you're viewing this. And it's having the humility to say, you, you may be right. Let me look at that. Let's study that together. Yeah. Um, it takes a large know, dose of humility. And so yeah. this, is, this is God trying through this person, yeah. trying to, to align me back. Yeah. Good point. Good point. So how do we respond to this? I think it's both sobering and exciting. I don't want us to miss that portion of that. Yes, it is going to reveal our hearts at judgment. There is going to be a laying out of what I have done. 
But that shouldn't terrify us. It is the truth. It is not a tainted view of what we have extrapolated in our brain or how you view me. It is the actual truth. That's sobering and exciting because we serve a wonderful, merciful Savior, full of compassion and truth. He's not just waiting for us to mess up and go, zap, gotcha. Again, he is there with open arms ready for you to change. I'm going to judge according to, I'm saying, Jesus is going to judge according to the truth. And he is wanting us to come to obedience and use us to glorify him. You should be thankful that I am not your God. And I am thankful that you are not my God. Because both of us cannot see the truth. Jesus can see the truth. And he's going to judge us on that fact. What a blessing that is. So thank you. I know we spent a lot of time there. But I think that was, to me, that was um, so helpful as I looked at those concepts there. Let's move on, just kind of make sure we hit some of these uh, other thoughts here. Um, verses 6 through 16, there's a, again, we mentioned, there's a lot of sarcasm. There is a lot of Paul trying to get their minds to realign because the way they were thinking was not the way that they needed to be thinking. Um, he mentions in verse 6 and 7, these... Um, why have you become arrogant in behalf of one another who regards you as superior? And what do you have that you did not receive? But if you received it, why do you boast if you had not received it? He's trying to, again, I think he's challenging their affluence, their richness in this world to go, you know, they think they're superior because they have all of these things. He's like, you've been given all of these things. Why do you boast in the things that you have? Because you've been given by God these things. And it helps us, it helps me to remember that. You know, that's often why we pray before a meal, right? It's that recognition that I didn't do this for me. God has provided this sustenance for me. And it's a recognition of God's superiority in Him bringing these blessings to us. I think we need to have a, um, a heightened awareness of that problem that most of us, I'll just say most of us, deal with with a, a heavily affluent society that we're a part of. He's saying, don't boast in that. Um, and he says, he is showing them the fallacy of their view of Paul. So again, I feel like Paul is, they have just had a superior view of him that he's kind of um, lower class citizen. I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it, it's almost like when you were a kid and your parents did something embarrassing uh, in public. And, and you just go, oh, I don't even know who they are, right? I, I feel like it's kind of that same thing. There's something that Paul's doing that they're just kind of like, oh, you know, that's, 
that's kind of our our father in the faith, but ugh, he's so cringy, right? It's it's what it feels like. And he's going through this list here in verse 10 following. If they were embarrassed with Paul because of this standing that he has, how could they ever be satisfied with a suffering servant of Jesus? How many of these descriptions could be attributed to Jesus? So he mentions he was weak, hungry and thirsty, poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless, working with his hands, reviled, persecuted, slandered, the scum of the world, the dregs of all things. That's how Paul was revered. And if they're treating Paul this way, how could they ever treat Jesus any differently? The scum of the world, the garbage of the world, the the trash. It's interesting. (laughs) And then he says in verse 16, I exhort you therefore, be imitators of me. Now, I have used this verse in other times in my life where it was like, okay, Paul's using this to be an example uh, of, you know, I'm following Jesus and you should follow him too. And in this context, he's saying, I mean, he's just saying the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, therefore be imitators of me. It is, again, not what is important in the world's view of us. We can be considered the trash heap. What matters is how Jesus looks on us. Very interesting, complex argument that Paul is associating with himself and their attitude and then to Jesus as well. So, so what? My reputation cannot be my God. Your view of me cannot, should not control me. My view of myself cannot and should not control me. Jesus' view of me should control me in my life. That's what matters. So if we look like the trash, if we look like the garbage, that's hard. I don't want to do that. Sometimes that's how we're viewed by the world because we're being judged by a true judge. It's interesting. Next quarter, Craig and Micah will be teaching 2 Corinthians, and I don't want to jump on uh, too much of what they're going to talk about, but it's going to be like five months from now, so you'll probably forget it by then anyway. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1, I want to finish with this. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and of God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I'll stop there. 
that idea of comfort and affliction. God comforts us when we're dealing with these things. Thanks for your thoughts today. We'll, uh, uh, we're actually going to pick up in our book um, next class. We're going to look at the cross is the only offense, and that's pages 34 and 35 in your workbook. So thank you again.